Bulletcast. For life. What is up, everybody? It is another edition of Under the Radar. My name is Brandon Tanguma. We are back. I know it's been a, a little bit, but it's only been a month compared to the year and a half hiatus or however long it was between the last two Under the Raiders. But uh, I am back. We're going to go over a bunch of different things. We got a preview battle in the Valley, which me and Philip will be there as well as some little news and notes around the world of pro wrestling and of course the review you guys have all been waiting for nikki bella says i do the four-part extravaganza but first i just wanted to this is called under the radar normally what this entails is we talk about some stuff we don't normally talk about on the bullet cast proper so i decided since we didn't go too too much in depth on aew dynamite I decided let's do a recap of it. Let's go through the show, give my thoughts and opinions. To be honest, this show was not a bad show by any means. I think AEW has done a good job in like putting on a strong in-ring product. Now, the storylines and everything from a week-to-week nature of that, it's not exactly up to snuff to where it was a year ago or you know at the beginning of AEW's run where it really felt like AEW was going to do something. They are... They are kind of in this weird low period to where they're not like a hot product. It also doesn't help that WWE is a hot product right now with the Bloodline storyline. So where AEW is, it's a very rough rough patch for them, and the ratings kind of bear that out. Rampage, I mean, to be honest, I don't watch Rampage really. It's on a Friday. That's what I'm doing, curveballs and chair shots. Then it rolls into the weekend, and usually I'm either doing something or watching some other stuff, so it just kind of falls by the wayside. If I hear something's good or if I have nothing else to watch, I might plop it on. But to be honest, I'm not really watching Rampage, and Dynamite doesn't make it feel like you need to watch Rampage. Like, yes, there's some stuff that goes on on Rampage that leaks into Dynamite, and they don't exactly like full blown explain it. And I don't want AEW to like hold my hand and just tell me every little thing. But I think from time to time, maybe a little bit of integration, a little bit of cohesion would work. But this show was uh, a, one of the lowest in a while. Definitely a big drop off. I probably should have pulled up the exact numbers. Didn't think I was going to uh, talk ratings, but. Um, I believe it drew around 800,000. Yes, the lowest rating or lowest viewership of 2023. They averaged 824,000 viewers. And it's not shocking, to be honest. As I said, this wasn't a marquee show. There wasn't a big match really advertised. If you kind of looked at the poster of this show, it was just like a hodgepodge that threw every match out there and just kind of like, oh, this is who we have on the show. But it wasn't a big There was a singular match that really stood above the rest, kind of like the other shows over the past few months or over the past few weeks, rather. So it's not surprising that this show was uh, not very. I don't know if I'd say well-received because like everything in here was fine. But if you go back to last week, like that Roosh Brian Danielson match, I absolutely love that match. Might be one of my favorite TV matches I've seen in a while. And just kind of going back, there's always at least one like stellar standout match. This one, not so much. This week, not so much. It was kind of more run in the mill. So we'll just kind of run through it and kind of give my thoughts and opinions because there were some things that we didn't talk about on the Bullock cast. I did want to kind of uh, give my opinions on. But first, uh, we had 
a graphic noting Jerry Jarrett had passed away. We talked about it uh, on the Bulletcast. You know, it's sad. Kind of came out of nowhere. He was 80 years old, but still just uh, not a big, big name in the wrestling business in terms of like, you know, influence like a, a Vern Gagne or a, you know, a Jim Crockett or a Vince McMahon, obviously. But he definitely had his, he's almost like, a, I mean, Jeff Jarrett, Jerry Jarrett, they just kind of were everywhere all the time. And um, he he was possibly, if Vince McMahon was going to go to prison for the steroid trial, he was going to be running WWF if Vince were to go away. Now, how would that have shaked out? I don't know. Um, I think he was a very big proponent of Bret Hart. And at the time, this was when Bret and Lex Luger were kind of fighting to see who was going to be the guy. And obviously Vince kind of wanted Lex because he was more of a Hulk Hogan clone, Bret Hart, more of the wrestler's wrestler. He had, he, you know, big name in his own right, had the family lineage, but Vince, I think wanted Lex, but at the end of the day, he had to go with Bret just because Bret was the one that garnered uh, more fan response and everything of that nature. But moving on, uh, we had, a kind of a random eight-man tag. This was kind of set up on uh, Rampage, as I said earlier. Like They didn't really do too much to kind of explain what was going on because if you just watch Dynamite like I do, it was like, oh, why is uh, Orange Cassidy and the Acclaim and Billy Gunn wrestling, you know, Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutton, Sonam Singh? It was just kind of, kind of a strange mix-up of characters, but uh, the match itself was fine. Um, in the end, it goes around 10 minutes acclaimed and Cassidy get the win. You know, it was okay. Um, you know, nice to see Jeff Jarrett out there wrestling only a day after the news came out. I don't know exactly what day uh, Jerry Jarrett passed away, but uh, the ending kind of was very comical. I mean, Sanjay Dutt, what he's doing right now is definitely a low card comedy manager act. And we already have smart Mark Sterling, so I don't know how many more of those AEW really needs. But um, he was it uh, Max Caster had him just you know on his back with his legs up in the air, uh, which I'm call it uh, Dudley Boy style to do the what's up, but or to do the scissoring. I guess is what their uh, their thing is. And he was just there for just an asinine amount of time. Like I get it, Sanjay Dutt isn't a serious wrestler, but still he was there for. It felt like five minutes. It was probably like maybe two, but still two minutes just in that position, just waiting it, and no one there to help him break it up. It it definitely uh, went on the, the far end of believability, I would say. But uh, match itself was fine. Orange Cassidy in the uh, All-Atlantic title. I mean, when that match, when that title was first uh, introduced, it was like, why are we adding another title? And right now that title is just in Orange Cassidy's bag, and he defends it occasionally. It's an okay match, but I don't know what the point of this is. Now, when Pac did it, he was wrestling, you know, some some UK shows, and it made sense, you know, take it over across the pond, go to whether it's, well, it technically should be, you know, in on the Atlantic coast. Don't take it to Japan or do anybody or do anything of that nature, but, um, you know, if they want to Nikki cross it and just throw it away in the trash can, I am all for it. But I don't think that is uh, what they're going to do. We had a vignette of a, a bloody Brian Danielson last week 
talking about his pay-per-view match against MJF. He stared into the camera and said, MJF is shaking in his boots. He said MJF's actions were that of a scared and desperate man. He said he is coming to take that AEW World Championship. And I thought this was a, a great promo. It was short, sweet, to the point. I really enjoy post, post-match uh, interviews. Sometimes they can be a little awkward because the wrestlers trying to get uh, catch their breath, but this one, you know, well after the match, Brian, um, you know, in the locker room in the trainer area, blood, dried up blood, sweaty hair, you know, his kinesi, his tape just coming off of his shoulder. He's just, you know, staring in the camera, yelling, giving this intensity. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Um, thought maybe Brian wasn't going to be in the show. He ended up did coming out during that MJF uh, Christopher Daniels segment, but I think they've done a pretty good job. In this MJF Brian Danielson build, uh, announcing a one hour Iron Man match a month almost like what a month and a half in advance, I thought it was definitely an uphill battle. Now, the match itself is going to be an uphill battle, especially as we get closer and more and more matches are being advertised for Revolution. But I think the story that they've told of Danielson, the wrestler getting in there with MJF for an hour, and how is MJF going to wiggle his way out? And there's also, you know, some some fervor behind it. It's not like so personal, like some of the other stuff MJF has done, like MJF being a dick and doing his heelish mannerisms. He's always going to do that, but it's not he's not going too, too far in one direction. It's more of a straightforward like wrestling match, which I like. And I think the promos from both men have uh, been really good. Brian and his character now. He's just kind of out there having good matches, but every now and then he pops in with some of these promos, and I think they're great. I want to see more of this from Brian Danielson in AEW. As much as I enjoy his matches, I want more character development, more promos, more reasoning for why he's here, what he's what his goal is in AEW, besides just out there having good matches, which seemingly is what AEW, is what Brian Danielson in AEW is doing right now. Uh, then. We get a tor- Texas Tornado tag match with uh, John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli taking on the half-repper, Preston Vance, and Roosh with Jose, the assistant. Once again, just what you'd expect, a John Moxley match uh, in a Texas Tornado match. Uh, you know, blood everywhere. Preston Vance, he uh, gashed himself pretty bad. Uh, I don't know. I assume it was a blade job. I don't know how much of blading... Uh, Vance has done his career, but uh, it did it, it did not look very pretty. It was uh, a lot of blood for a second match on the card, which not a lot with not a lot of build, not a lot of reasoning behind it. So, yeah, I mean, it's not exactly my thing, especially now. Seemingly like with it's almost like a meme at this point. Every single match Moxley has, there has to be blood involved. Seemingly um, like the match was fine, but I just don't know why we need so much bl- and this is the person coming i'm coming f- from the perspective i want blood in wrestling i want more blood in wwe but then sometimes on the other end of things i think moxley and AEW kind of go too far on the other end like what moxley and danielson both bled uh last week on AEW in their matches like okay a little Maybe a little too much, especially like on Moxley's end, because I don't know if Moxley's match really needed the blood. Danielson's match and his intensity, he's kind of, you know, on the, his last leg on his, you know, trials of MJF. So that one made a little more sense. But this is a hardcore match. Yes, you can explain why it has blood, but I, I just 
don't feel like every single Moxley match needs blood. So I don't know if he feels like it, he wants to or he has to Moxley, that is. But I just feel like we can kind of tilt it back a little bit. And I, at this point, Moxley signed, a, I think it was a five-year contract. So he's going to be around for a while. And it's almost like Danielson. Like, it might not be exactly what you want from him. But if this is what he's going to do, it seems like Tony Khan is going to let the wrestlers do what they want. And Danielson wants to go out there and have 12 to 15 minute matches with a lot of people with not a lot of storyline behind it. Moxley wants to go out there, have a, a fun 10 minute hardcore match, bleed and uh, flip people off and cuss. Cool. Now, how does then how does that pan out to the, the full range of the show? As we're seeing right now, a little bit of a low period for, for AEW. Is there some correlation? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, we shall see about that. Uh, the announcers throw to a sit Jim Ross sit-down interview with Wardlow. So nice to see Jim Ross getting some screen time on Dynamite. I talked a little bit about this on the Bullet Cast, but Wardlow uh, went in and talked about his relationship with his father. His father left him when he was, you know, uh, you know, as as a child. They kind of reconvened back when he was getting into wrestling. His dad ultimately died from cancer, and his dad uh, had you know long hair and a beard, and that was taken away from him because of the cancer. And so that's why he Wardlow has that look of the beard and the hair. And Joe knew that, so taking that away from Wardlow uh, was a personal attack on him, and. I mean, I like the promo. I thought this was a good, a good step in the right direction for Wardlow. Ever since he uh, departed from MJF, I always wondered what he is going to do because it's very easy, as you can see, to get over and if you with MJF. Now, doing the next step, that's the difficult part. And so far, Wardlow hasn't lived up to that quite yet. Uh, but I would say this is, I probably would say this is his best promo. Outside of the MJF storyline. Now it's a sit down interview. Very controlled. You can do retakes. It's not a one stop live backstage or in ring promo. But I very much enjoyed the story. And I very much liked Wardlow's intensity. The look. The man the man ponytail. The man bun. Kind of had to go away. Takes him a little uh, more seriously. I think it's a good look for him. Now. We need to kind of put it all together with the entering and the promos and everything of that nature. But I thought this was a good step in the right direction. Now, as I said, the show as a whole wasn't great compared to the other shows entering wise. But there was some little things here and there that I thought AEW did well. But I just don't know if it's going to you know add on, stack on top of each other and uh, lead to a uh, another hot period for the company. Then we get Mark Briscoe taking on Josh Woods. Uh, they built this up last week on Rampage. And Mark uh, gets the win in about six minutes. You know, fine, fine match. Uh, Mark ends up signing a contract with AEW, so good for good for AEW. You know, Mark is he? You know, he's a talent. He, in his segment with uh, on Rampage, to kind of set this match up. Uh, Mark was just kind of all over the place. He was, you know, kind of doing his wacky shtick. And when he was with Jay. That was fine because Mark would be in the background, you know, doing his mannerisms and doing all that, all that stuff. But Jay was a serious one in the in the front, running the promo, grounding everything, giving it this type of, gra you know, gravitas and intensity that Mark 
kind of had, but Jay just had so much of it that it kind of put it all together. So now with Mark being on his own, if he is just going to be a straight up singles wrestler, that's the part I worry about is what exactly is the Mark Briscoe character in AEW as a singles? Because whether it be with Jay or without Jay back in ROH, he was always, you know, a tad bit over the top, um, you know, kind of the wild, crazy man. And that can kind of work like, you know, like a boogie woogie man type act. But I, I just don't know. I, I'm very I'm skeptical to see what they can do with Mark Briscoe in AEW. But I mean, I'm intrigued to see because, you know, they have so many people over there. I I wonder, I think just kind of this realm for him, you know, in the mid card, kind of gathering some wins, maybe build him up a little bit to, to lose to a top tier guy. Maybe you can have him in a main event, you know, occasionally, but not really challenge for a title by anything, but. Oh, you uh, put him in a tag team with somebody else. I don't know, but good for Mark. Uh, don't know what he's going to do with uh, AEW and or Ring of Honor, but uh, we shall see about that. Rene Paquette interviews Adam Cole backstage. Uh, and Cole just kind of talked about his recovery process and how he, I don't think he has specifically said he's cleared, but he was being very vague. He said he's definitely feeling much, much better. Um, his right eye doesn't twitch. He doesn't have to pull over on the side of the road because he gets nauseous while driving. Um, Renee was kind of prying and pulling him to try to see if he could announce anything. He kept it very coy. I I, don't, I assume we're going to get the Adam Cole uh, return at Revolution. They're not saying who is going to be. Cole said he has a lot of people he wants. He has a lot of people he has his eye on, but he's not committing or announcing anything quite yet. So, I mean, I thought it was it was a good promo, kind of you know grim at points because Cole has talked about what he's had to deal with with this concussion over uh, the past few months, and it's scary. It isn't something that I think um, we want to see happen again to Cole. I have full faith in the medical staff that if he is cleared, he is good to go. But when you talk about these type of symptoms that he's having and you put him back in the ring, people are going to worry and people are going to hope that doesn't happen again. So especially like if you're an NFL fan, seeing what happened with Tua Tonga-Vailoa, he gets a concussion, he comes back, he gets another concussion, and that one seemed even worse than the first one that he had. And then he comes back a second time and then – he seemingly has another concussion. So I I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm hoping Adam Cole is is better and he gets cleared and he has that match of revolution. I don't think it, you need to announce it. It's not going to be a you know a grudge match. It's probably just going to be you can almost call it an exp, an exhibition. He has a match with somebody. They have a good 10 minute match. Adam Cole gets the win. Everybody's happy. And we move on to the first real feud of Adam Cole. Because right now at Revolution, the, the hook is just seeing him wrestle. You don't need a, a bloody angle or whoever it's going to be. I, you know, it just needs to be a wrestling match. And I think that's good enough. I hope Cole stays away from the elite, kind of does his own thing. I you know I know there's a, the overlying storyline with Red Dragon uh, you know, Undisputed Era and the Elite. But with those guys gone, or at least with Bobby Fish definitely gone, and Kyle O'Reilly on the sideline with spinal surgery, 
I think Adam Cole should just do his own thing. And right now with the elite, the way they are, I am just so down on them right now. I don't know if it's a, a personal thing or a physical thing, but they're just in their own world doing their, their trios matches and hanging out with their buddies. And I don't want Adam Cole to be a part of that. I want Adam Cole to thrive and do his own thing because I think right now where the elite is, they are pigeonholed and they are just content with doing their own thing in the mid card and having good matches. And that's it. And I think Adam Cole can definitely uh, be more than that. Then we get the uh, MJF promo. Uh, We went over this a tad bit, but MJF just stands in the middle of the ring, heals it up. If you haven't seen MJF, uh, if you don't know, you know, when the international feed, they keep going, they don't run commercials. And so MJF is doing his thing. There's some commentary in the back. And if you haven't seen that, go check it out on Twitter. He like throws a fan's phone, like spills a drink, just cussing at everybody. Yes, you can kind of say it's a little bit heavy handed and too over the top, but that's kind of MJF's stick. And uh, he just goes in on uh, on Laredo and, you know, there's an, there's an abortion uh, quip in there, which, you know, shout out to MJF for, I guess, being pro, you know, being pro-choice. That's all I'll say about that. But, um, you know, him and CD get into it. I thought uh, Chris, it was a nice use of Christopher Daniels. We haven't seen him really in a while. Um, good connection with him and Danielson, obviously Ring of Honor days. And uh, as I said, he gave a shout out to APW because Danielson won the first King of the Indies tournament. And uh, then MJF beats up Christopher Daniels. Danielson makes a save. And that's that. Uh, as I said, I think they've done a really good job building up this match. Um, it's not super duper personal. MJF kind of goes there every now and then. But uh, hopefully we got what, two more shows before Revolution. So maybe we get Danielson and MJF kind of in that typical WWE in-ring back-and-forth segment. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else they really can do because Danielson, as I said, doesn't have too much of a character. So, and MJF is is cocky. He's arrogant. He says he's going to win. So there's And this match has been building for like a month and a half, nearly two months at this point. So I don't think there's really much for them to to go back to or them to really kind of dive into, but uh, they've done a, a good job so far. Uh, we get the machine, Brian cage taking on jungle boy, Jack Perry. Uh, I don't know his contract status, but it almost seems like uh, Brian Cage's contracts expiring. He's just doing jobs to everybody. Uh, Perry gets to win about seven minutes. Then Christian comes out and he uh, sprays Perry with Mace. He goes down and uh, yeah. So, Perry, you know, Jungle Boy gets the win over Cage. Fine match. Uh, Christian makes his return, and it looks like we're going to run that back. I hope this isn't a revolution. I hope they can kind of wait because as we're kind of filling up the card right now, and I really don't, as someone who's going to the show, doesn't want this pay-per-view to be like five hours long because we're already teetering on on an over three-hour show, probably a four-hour show. And if we add more of these matches like Christian and Jack, I, yeah, let's, let's just keep it to a nice tight three and a half, possibly three hour show. Uh, they announced 
a tag team battle royal and a casino battle royal, and those two winners will take on uh, the guns at Revolution. Then the Acclaims interrupt and say they don't back down from a fight, and they are invoking their rematch clause at Revolution. So now the three-way is going to be a four-way. I'm intrigued for these battle royals just because I don't know who is in the tag team division anymore. Like, how are a how is AEW going to fill out two separate battle royals for tag teams? I assume there's going to be a lot of tag teams in that first match, in that second match, but where the AEW tag team division is right now, I I don't see them filling out uh, two full battle royals with distinct tag teams in every single spot. Uh, then we get the uh, the elite backstage, and they set up a rematch with AR Fox and Top Flight. As I said, I just don't know what the elite are doing right now. Like they're kind of they're heels, but then the crowd likes them. They're leaning into like a lot of basketball stuff with the TNT relationship with the you know NBA relationship. It makes sense. The All Star Weekends this weekend, like fine, but I it just. It just kind of sucks where they are right now. I don't know if that the suspension, the CM Punk thing has anything to do with it, but they were kind of already on this trajectory, I felt like, beforehand. And maybe that just kind of amplified the situation. Uh, earlier in the show, Kip Sabian laid out Hangman Page, and we were in question what the match was, if the match was going to happen or not, but Hangman uh, comes out and he beats Kip Sabian in about eight minutes. Afterwards, Moxley, Claudio, and Yuta come out. And they do a back and forth, and Moxley says, uh, Hangman has no friends. Then Evil Uno and uh, the boys come out to back up Hangman. Hangman didn't exactly like that. Uno getting you know in his face, in Moxley's face, and kind of in Hangman's face as well. And then Moxley challenges Hangman to a Texas death match in San Francisco at Revolution. Why can't it be a... San Francisco death match. It rolls right off the tongue. But I anyways, like it was a it was interesting just to see that dynamic of evil Uno because he has been, you know, since Stu Grayson left, he's just kind of been there. I haven't seen too much of him, at least on Dynamite and or Rampage. So maybe giving Uno a little bit of a seriousness behind him, whether it's him as a singles guy or he I I don't know. I mean, I kind of I enjoyed this. I thought it was good, and we I, I just said that Moxley wants to bleed in every single match. Looks like he's going to bleed in this match. Uh, Shivani interviewed the Jericho Appreciation Society. Jericho and Ricky Starks. Jericho said that Ricky Starks got lucky once, but that will never happen again because he's not on his level. Dan Garcia said that he has a match with him on Friday, and he's going to prove it's not his time. Matt Menard and Angela Parker agreed that Starks is absolutely annoying and delusional. Jack Hager, Jake Hager chimed in and said that I like this hat. Sammy Guevara nodded in the background and Garcia uh, said he'll expose Starks as an absolute fraud. And Jericho made Tony Schiavone flinch. Uh, yeah, just kind of continuing on. Another one of those matches that you can possibly see them adding on, on a revolution. So at this point, we have... The Iron Man match, the Texas Death match, the tag match, uh, Wardlow and uh, Samoa Joe for the TNT title. And then if you add on Jericho and Stalks and possibly Jack Perry and uh, Christian, that's what, five, six matches with a guaranteed hour-long match on that. So five matches. Like, could they do five matches in two hours? 
possibly, but I don't see that exactly happening. Uh, then in the main event, we had Tony Storm taking on Ruby Soho and Britt Baker in a triple threat non-title, or I don't know why I would say non-title match, because the champ is not even in the match. That would be Jamie Hayter. So Tony Storm, Ruby Soho, and Britt Baker in a triple threat match. This one goes 10 minutes. Uh, this was the obligatory one women's match of Dynamite, and this one actually main evented the show. I don't know if the fact WWE main evented Raw with a triple threat women's match has anything to do with this, but uh, Ruby Soho gets the win in 10 minutes. After uh, Soraya spray paints Tony Storm's ass and hits Britt Baker with the hip attack, uh, Soho kind of dumps uh, Storm out the way and pins Britt Baker for the wins, and then we get... Baker hater yelling at Soho while Storm and Soraya yell at Soho. So she's caught in the middle. I just don't know what's going on here. Um, you you have the WWE girls take uh, with the AEW originals. And Soho kind of caught in the middle. I, I don't know how we're supposed to feel. I don't know why we're supposed to care about this. Just kind of a, a weak ending to the show, I would say. And. I mean, everyone in here is talented. I think they could do more. It seems as though they are building towards a women's blood and guts match. Um, so that should be interesting. Um, Soraya in this heel role, I, I don't know. It's, it's not working out for me. I think Soraya so far hasn't exactly worked out for me in uh, AEW. Like, yeah, she has like her following and people like her, but... I just don't like where her characters are at right now. And it's kind of, and with her pairing with Tony Storm, I feel as though it's bringing Tony Storm down. So, that it is what it is. So, yeah, that was Dynamite. As I said, uh, some good things, some average things, not a lot of bad, I would say, on the show. I think probably my least favorite thing maybe is the ending, just because of how nonchalant or like how least caring I am about it. But, like there was, as I said, no big time match that you absolutely had to check out. There's a lot of stuff that they uh, filled into this. The best thing probably was MJF and Chris Daniels going back and forth. Um, but yeah, uh, let's go on to you know let's let's cover some like little news and notes before we get into the New Japan preview. But um, a A and E announced that there's going to be a new Stone Cold series. It's going to be Stone Cold Takes on America, a ten part series will premiere on Sunday, April thirtieth. As you know, love Stone Cold. What? So this is a part of their WWE Sunday Night programming alongside uh, WWE's Most Wanted Treasures and the uh, AW biographies that they do. Um, I like the Most Wanted Treasures. That has uh, Top Dollar, and he would go around and you know go to collectors and go to some things. Like, I enjoy that stuff. I like memorabilia. I like diving into like that that stuff of wrestling and now we got to have another you know it's stone cold has done a lot of these different shows before it's just like watch stone cold do things and i would love to see stone cold do things i believe it's like him going around different parts of america in an rv doing some sort of challenges or doing activities so different than what he was doing his previous show that he was on on usa network which only had one season i believe i don't think they're coming back with the new one where it was just what we see in television a lot these days, celebrities talking to celebrities. So Stone Cold would interview. Um, what did he, did he do? Hey, he had Charlotte. Um, I know he had Luke Holmes. You know some other some other people. 
but this one it seems like it's mainly just focused on stone cold and him doing stuff so i don't know if this is an hour long show or if it's a half hour show uh but i'll check it out it seems fun just something to put on in the background or you know just kind of put something on when you're not in the mood to kind of take anything too seriously so i mean honestly this is just something that can happen on a youtube like this is like a youtube series like as someone who uh i'm a big barstool guy they do barstool um not barstool versus america but rediscovering america and it's just they go all over the country and just kind of do different different things and yeah there's some comedy and some wackiness involved but also there's some some you know you learn about different parts of the country like i probably am not going to go to alaska anytime soon learning about rural alaska very interesting so maybe stone cold goes down that route and we see uh, what old stone cold is going to do then friend of the podcast Carl Fredericks, if you did not know, he signed with WWE. He is going to make his debut this week on NXT, or is it WWE Level Up? I think it's NXT Level Up. And he also got a new name. Carl Fredericks is no more, and now he is Eddie Thorpe. Hell of a name. So he will be taking on Dante Chen on NXT Level Up this Friday on the cock. Or WWE Network if you're outside of the U.S. at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, you know, good for good for Carl. Uh, the name, the name change is was bland. I mean, Carl Fredericks is already kind of a just a I don't want to say a boring name, but just kind of a a bland name. And then you, now you move it over to Eddie Thorpe. It's kind of the same thing. So kind of a, a lateral move. But once again, we understand where they're coming from with doing the uh, name changes. So shout out Eddie Thorpe making his WWE debut this week. Now, where Eddie Thorpe used to be was New Japan. And we do have a big New Japan show on the docks for Saturday going head to head with WWE Elimination Chamber. It feels like every time they do these AEW shows or they do these New Japan shows, it's always going up against some sort of pay-per-view. I think last year they went up against Revolution and then going back to 19 and 18 or 19. Did they do 18? Because I definitely went to one. I can't remember if that was 18 or 19. It was probably 2018. But uh, these Battle in the Valley, these San Jose shows, seemingly go up against uh, some sort of wrestling pay-per-view, some sort of wrestling um, premium live event as they're calling them these days but this is a pretty big show pretty good card on hand probably the best united states new japan card since before the pandemic um i am quite excited for this uh so let's just uh run it through real quick so the uh you know we'll go from top to bottom so the the main event presumably the main event is going to be kazuchika okada taking on hiroshi tanahashi for the iwgp world heavyweight championship Okada's probably going to win. No real doubt in that. Just from a personal standpoint, being able to see an, an Okada-Tanahashi match live is fun to me. It's intriguing to me just because that's kind of when I got into wrestling. Those, you know, AJ Styles, the Nakamura's, you know, WrestleMania. I'm terrible with numbers. Was it Wrestle Kingdom 8 or 7? One of those ones. And so, you know, Tanahashi and Okada were just doing their thing all the time. So now being able to to watch this match live, very happy to see this. Tanahashi, obviously, on the back end of his career. Okada in the prime of his career. And right now, um, he's kind of switched it up a little bit, just being more of like a cocky, arrogant, I'm the best Okada. And I've always thought that's the best Okada. 
not a full-blown heel, but definitely just being a cocky asshole. And I am in very much excited to see this. I don't, I'm kind of keeping my expectations in check because both these guys coming over from Japan, it's a US show. There's it's not a they just came off the new beginnings uh show last week. So if they want to kind of go full blower, they could. I I mean they I am I expect them to to pull out some some fun tricks and it should be a really good match. Now the the next match, this one seemingly is the most hyped match, the one everyone is looking forward to, the one the reason why me and the boys kind of bought the tickets to go to the show. And this is for the IWGP Women's Championship match. Kyrie defending against Mercedes Monet. We saw her debut at Wrestle Kingdom this year. They botched the move. Didn't exactly go so well, but it did garner a lot of attention and it garnered a lot of publicity and a lot of buzz for New Japan and Mercedes. Ever since then, she's kind of been hanging out under, under the radar, one might say. But... I think that hype is going to pick right back up again. Um, it's been a while since she's wrestled. She's posted a lot of things on her Instagram and Twitter that she's been training and she's doing things down in Mexico, um, in Japan, training over there. But uh, first time in what, nearly a year that we're going to see uh, Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet in the ring. And I think this is going to be a fantastic match. The crowd is going to be hot. I know they're going to, they really want to see this match. Um, and it's not, Mercedes taking on some Japanese woman that a lot of the mainstream wrestling crowd in San Jose doesn't know. It is a WWE match, for lack of a better term. Sasha Banks and Kyrie saying two women that everybody, pretty I assume everybody in that crowd is going to know who they are. And it's going to be, they're going to be motivated. Especially, I presume... Even though this is kind of the match most people are looking forward to, I presume this is going to be the semi-main below the men's title match. And knowing Mercedes, she's probably going to be very motivated. First match back in a while, her real first match as Mercedes Monet. She's going to probably want to go balls to the wall, and they're going to want to steal the show. I kind of I kind of expect them to steal the show. If they are given 20 minutes and they just do what they can do, I think this match is going to be something special. I think this match is going to be really good. And I expect Mercedes to win. Now, it all depends on what her contract is. Now, is this a... It almost seems like this is a a bucketless item for her. So it's just her wrestling for New Japan. But I would also assume she wants to wrestle in Japan. And she hasn't got to do that yet, so... I think she wins this, and she has a little bit of a lengthy title reign. Maybe she goes and wrestles and either takes it to Dominion. Maybe she takes it all the way to Wrestle Kingdom next year. I don't know what that contract says, but uh, I think this is going to be a fantastic match. Then we get the New Japan Strong Openweight Championship. Fred Rosser, formerly known as Darren Young, he is a champion defending against Kenta. I mean, I think you can go either which way. It's going to be intriguing to uh, see what the crowd is for this, because obviously Fred Rosser is a, a relatively big name or, well, he's not a big name anymore, really, but people know who he is. Maybe there's going to be people who, if you tell him, if you say the name Fred Rosser, you're not going to know who it is, but once you see him, they're like, Oh, that's Darren Young. And maybe they'll, they'll get behind him. Kenta much more of the traditional new Japan audience is going to get behind him. I do believe, uh, 
if we are getting a title switch in Mercedes Monet, maybe they kind of hold off on title switches. But I, it's the it's the New Japan Strong Openweight title. It doesn't mean too too much. I don't know what Kenta is uh, going to be doing in terms of staying in the states or staying in Japan. So I mean, I'll, I'll give it to Kenta. Have him have him win a little GTS for the win. Why the hell not? Uh, then we get the New Japan Strong Tag Team Championships as the Motor City Machine Guns take on the World Class Wrecking Crew. Once again, it should be a solid match. Uh, I would expect Motor City Machine Guns to uh, to get the win here. Uh, the N- NJPW World Television Championship takes uh, Zack Sabre, the champion, takes on Clark Connors. This one, uh, the matches, I believe, are 15-minute time limits, so kind of quick, get in, get out. Uh, Zack Sabre can just you know get in there and stretch people. I would suspect uh, Zack Sabre to to retain and uh, get the win. Then uh, Eddie Kingston and Jay White. I don't know where this one falls in the uh, title or in the uh, match card. Maybe if I go to uh, New Japan, at the New Japan website, maybe they have it kind of listed as where. Because usually if New Japan is going to um, do their, if I can spell NJP, w1972.com there we go um usually if they put it on the uh website they will uh you know have it kind of in order of how the matches are supposed to go so i'm just gonna check it out because now the the stakes have been raised if you have not heard uh eddie kingston and jay white were on uh wrestling observer radio and they uh set up the stipulation uh jay white lost Hikaleo last weekend so now he is not he lost a loser leaves japan match so now they raise the stakes and now it is going to be a loser leaves new japan match so uh, if we go based on the card that they have on the on the website one two three four so this would be the fourth match out of seven or eight so seemingly just kind of plopped there right in the middle kind of kind of strange um i would say this is the second or third match i mean it's the iwgp championship match but let's be honest i don't think a lot of people expect there to be a title change like it's a big match and people will get excited for it but i i honestly might think that people are more excited to see um, Eddie Kingston and Jay White, especially if this is Jay White's last match in New Japan. And I would expect that. I think this is a good um, stipulation because you can see it going either which way. Jay White cut the promo afterwards that now he's uh, lost. He's not going to be Japan. Now he's going to take over New Japan Strong. So you could see that happen. I think Jay White loses. Eddie Kingston wins. And this is Jay White's last match in New Japan. Now, where does he go? That is the big question. AEW and WWE would be fools not to try to sign him. But I think Jay White should go to WWE. Now, I kept saying that AEW is not in a great place right now. But I I would say WWE needs Jay White more. WWE needs like big marquee main event level stars. And they just don't really have that right now. Outside of Roman Reigns, Cody Rhodes, you can say maybe they're building Sami Zayn for that. 
Um, but yeah, like outside of that, I just they don't have those top, top, top guys. Like you can say Seth, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of his character. Um, but you can there's guys that you can kind of put in the main event, but there's not guys who kind of stand above the rest. And I think if Jay White comes in there, he almost gets like a better AJ Styles treatment where he gets pushed into the main roster taken seriously in the main event possibly you have if cody is going to win the title you have jay white debut night after wrestlemania like with that hot crowd everyone's going to know presumably everybody's going to know who jay white is and he challenges cody for the title or he makes an appearance against cody or something like that so i would say jay because if you go to AEW. I feel as though Jay White is going to be a big name and he'll get his shine and he'll get his matches and his moments, but he'll just get lost in the shuffle again. Like AEW, their issue, like, yes, they kind of are missing the stars, especially with CM Punk on, but I think their issue is just kind of building up stars. I know it almost kind of sounds counterproductive, like, you know, this like, oh, why doesn't just WWE do the same thing? But AEW, I think, have people that you could build up into stars. They're not, you know, pigeonholed and they're not, um, you know, flanked in this one role. Like, I think a lot of people in WWE, if you kind of go down the roster, there's a lot of people that you say, oh, there's no shot. They're going to they can make it to the main roster or go to the main event. But if you go down AEW, you can be like, oh, you know, still got Hangman. You got Moxley, obviously, Danielson, MJF. Um you can build up Jack Perry to be something, to be a main eventer, Darby Allen, possibly. Like, I just think AEW top tier main event roster is much more fluid than WWE's is. And so adding Jay White does more to WWE's main main event roster than it does to AEW's roster. And we see they sign people, AEW does, and they kind of get lost back in the shuffle. Uh, but uh, so I, I would I, I would expect Eddie Kingston to uh, get the win. Then we got a filthy rules match with filthy Tom Lawler taking on Homicide. You know, this one should be fun. I don't know exactly what a filthy rules match wouldn't. Oh, well, if I went to the New Japan website, dummy, it would say no DQs and ring ropes will not be used in this bout. So it's pretty much a blood sport match. Uh, I really much enjoy blood sport matches. Um, Tom Lawler. You know, with his MMA with his MMA background, he'll be able to bring it. Uh, I don't know what Homicide could do, but that would be very intriguing to see what Homicide can do in that uh, in that uh, scene. Then we get some uh, some kickoff matches. We got uh, well, this technically isn't a kickoff match. We have a uh, eight man tag: Rucker, Mary with Josh Alexander, Adrian Quest, and Mas Mascara Dorada. Taking on uh, Velardo Jr. Definitely nailed that name. Kushida, Kevin Knight, and the DKC. You know, it's a regular eight-man tag for New Japan. Some stars in there, so it should be a fun kickoff. I assume that's going to be the opening match. Then the uh, kickoff matches, David Finley taking on Bobby Fish. Uh, I mean, I suspect David Finley to get the win. And then uh, Alex Coughlin taking on JR Kratos. Uh, should be fun to see Kratos back in the Bay. Uh, see him at a bunch of APW indie shows. So him coming back to uh, San Jose uh, is good for him. Uh, I, he's made, I think, probably a bigger name for himself than I thought I saw him as. Like he had a he has a great look, big guy, um, kind of sneaky athletic. And yeah, he's here in like the kickoff of the kickoff shows. But um, good for him that he's uh, down in uh, New Japan and doing some work there. So uh, running head to head with Elimination Chamber, I'm going to hope 
to avoid spoilers, but I know there will be people talking it. And if it, it definitely, if Sami Zayn wins the title against Roman Reigns, I would assume word will spread around that San Jose Civic Center, Civic Arena. I don't know what it's called, but uh, definitely excited to see that. We will have an Elimination Chamber recap that will be dropping on Monday. Me, Philip, Katie, I believe. And then who knows if Brian will show up or not. So um, now the time we've all been waiting for, folks. We got the recap of Nikki Bella says I do. If you don't know, under the radar, we recap all of the dumb, sorry, not dumb, the fantastic WWE reality shows. And this one kind of came out of nowhere. It was just a four-part series. Nikki Bella says I do. If you don't know, Nikki uh, was on Dance with the Stars in 2018. By the way, this is the end. Of the, this is going to be the last segment. So if you guys don't care about Nikki Bella says I do, goodbye. See you later. Been fun. Check back in with us on uh, Monday for the Elimination Chamber recap and sat, uh, Black Power Ranking, I believe, on Sunday as well. And then Bullet Cast on Friday. Toodaloo. But four-part event, Nikki Bella and Artem. I forget what his last name is because it's very Russian and very hard to pronounce. But they were uh, Dancing with the Stars partners in 2018. This is still at the time where uh, Nikki Bella's with John Cena. Uh, John Cena and Nikki Bella break up. Tease and peace. Hate to see it. And then uh, Nikki Bella on the prowl goes out with uh, Artem. Bam. They hit it off. They start dating. They have a kid in 2020. Almost simultaneously, well, practically simultaneously with Brie, and a Danielson when they had their second child, both boys. So they're almost kind of like the uh, the Bella boys. And uh, yeah, they uh, were going to get they got engaged. They're supposed to get married, but pandemic kind of threw everything for a loop. So now we're here in 2022 uh, before the new season of Dancing with the Stars pops off, which is normally in the fall, I think. Pretty sure. So this is during summertime. And instead of having it planned out like a normal person, Nikki Bella decides that she's going to get married in four weeks with no real plans in sight. And so her and Brie, for the most part, go out on an excursion to uh, find a venue and find a way to get married. Uh, I was wondering what would happen. We did get one Brian Danielson appearance. He was I think he got his title card. I, I kind of forget because this was the very first episode. They were like in a park and playing and, you know, talking about the wedding or something like that. And you just see Brian playing with his kids. And I think I think it might have just said Brian and it was like Brie Bella's husband. So kind of dancing around the fact that uh, Dana Brian, Brian Danielson isn't uh, with the company anymore, but he was not a big part of the show by any means. He was just kind of there. I don't even know if he had like, like he talked to. Nikki or Brie. He was just kind of there in the background. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, they they are they live in Sonoma, Napa Valley over here in the California. So that was the first stint of what they're trying to do. They're trying to find something in Napa, trying to find a venue and try to find it during summer or at least late summer and about four weeks. Very hard to do out here in California and just kind of here in the States in general. Uh, they do a bachelorette party. They do a co-bachelorette and bachelor party. Um, the Bella Twins, uh, well, I guess everybody was uh, bobbing for for dildos. So that was a, a visual. Uh, Nikki Bella does a, a strip tease. 
she goes dance. She does a a dancing coach, and she does like a a pole dance with like a a cage descended from the ceiling. Uh, so yeah, that was a bachelorette party. Uh, another big subplot, which is probably the most interesting subplot of the entire show, is uh, Artem's parents. So Artem is from Russia, and obviously with the Russia Ukraine thing going on right now, very hard to uh to get in and out of Russia. And so that was his big thing. And uh, Mateo, the the kid, uh, Nikki and Artem's kid, they haven't, uh, he hasn't seen his grandparents yet. So he's only seen them via FaceTime and Zoom and stuff like that. So his Artem's big thing is he wants Mateo to meet his grandparents and he couldn't find, you know, he can't get away into the country because it takes forever to get a visa. Um, Americans aren't allowed to go into Russia. So they are trying to find a workaround um, at the end of the day. Uh, the Bella Twins could not find a venue that kind of suited them, and they ended up uh, – Nikki and Artem got engaged in Paris, and Nikki loves Paris so much that they decided, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to Paris. We're going to try to find a venue in Paris, and you know, even though Brie has uh, two kids and a husband who at this point is on the road, quote-unquote on the road for AEW and doing all these stuff, she drops everything, and she goes to Paris – with Nikki and they try to find a venue. And so uh, when that comes to fruition, Artem, uh, they decide that uh, Russia, apparently, I don't, you know, I don't know everything about Russia and travel situations, but uh, from Russia, you can go to Turkey without a visa. So the plan was for Artem and Mateo to go to Turkey to meet with the grandparents. And, uh, you know, have have the kid meet the grandparents for the first time. A uh, little bit of a fight because, you know, it can't be a reality show without fights. And, it, you know, it was a great time. It was honestly like the best part of the show is seeing Artem and Mateo, you know, go to Turkey and, you know, meet the grandparents and have all that, you know, fun stuff. Uh, so while that's going on, the Bella Twins are going around Paris trying to find stuff and uh, just happens to be like a couple of days before the wedding. They find this beautiful building right at some plaza that has a lot of sentimental value to nikki and they find it that's all these different things is how it's just magical tv magic one might say that they were able to find this venue so close with only a couple days until the scheduled uh wedding date they are possibly going to do it in a a park that that doesn't fly for nikki she's not a park person uh then they they you know go shopping they find dresses another big thing was that Nikki really, really wanted to wear her wedding dress that she was gonna wear with John Cena, which was interesting because, you know, I'm not a wedding person. I'm not, you know, I'm not a woman who has a wedding dress and how that whole feeling goes. But she was like, she loved it so much that she just had to buy it. She had to get it with uh, with John, and she kept it, and she was gonna wear it on the wedding day with Artem. She ran past Artem. Artem is very kind of whatever laissez-faire, you know, kind of go with the flow. Very, If you kind of look at the similarities, Brian and Artem, very similar guys. They're not very confrontational. They're just kind of go with the flow. Well, the Bella twins definitely are the more, you can call them go-getters or the more, you know, uh, I don't want to say aggressive, but definitely maybe uh, more, you know, forward and more pushing on uh, topics and things of that nature. So 
but at the end of the day, they go they go bridesmaid shopping, and for the halibut, uh, Nikki tries on some dresses. They find a dress, bam, beautiful. So she's not wearing a John Cena dress to uh, Artem's wedding. Uh, they have the wedding, beautiful. Uh, Mateo apparently just starts yakking everywhere. So he was unable to uh, to be a part of the wedding, to be the ring bearer. Uh, so then that sends a sends a, a tiffy, a sends a skirt, and they also couldn't find the rings. Uh, they had the rings in the safe at the hotel, but then they went to go get them. They forgot them. Then they went to go get them. Couldn't find them. That was never uncovered. That was never dived into because this is the last episode. The wedding's the last episode. So, and like in the last. 15 minutes it's like oh i can't find the rings where the hell are the rings everything goes up in flames and we just never figure out what the hell happened with the ring so they just kind of took uh nikki bella's grandma her engagement ring and then i guess they borrowed someone's ring for artem so yeah they someone either misplaced stole or took the uh the wedding rings and we did not find whatever happened to them so Anyways, so that's it. That was the the Nikki Bella says I do. It was just a quick four part series, and I mean, it, if you uh, think of what a WWE Nikki Bella reality show trying to find venues and doing wedding stuff is exactly what you think. Uh, I was hoping maybe we got a little bit more Brian Danielson. He has been very vocal and very upfront because if you haven't uh, listened to his interview with Renee Paquette. Uh, on YouTube or on you know on podcast form, he's not a big fan of reality shows, but he gets he you know he goes along with it because it's Bree's thing. It's kind of something for them to do, makes money, blah blah blah. So it did make sense for him not to really be too much a part of this. But I was kind of hoping just for, uh, yeah, you know, just to see some. I like destruction. I like uh, I want to see an AEW person on a WWE programming. We did, but he was not there for uh, for much longer. But uh, before I forget, got to check the UTR mailbag at gmail.com. We actually have 42 messages in the inbox. I know it's been a long time. I am thrilled that we have this much emails uh, in the box, but um, I am going through it. Unless it is, uh, let's see, this one from Natasha. Hi, UTR mailbag at gmail.com. Would you like to increase the lead slash sales generated from your website? Reply if you are interested to know. I will prepare a full proposal along with the analysis report and recommendations. Best regards, Natasha. From December 15th, 2021. That shows how long it's been since I've uh, checked this mailbox. But yeah, all this is just spam. I was actually surprised that there was this much stuff in here because normally when I... Uh, check the email first so i forgot why but i like subscribe to the new york times or you know if you go on one of those websites you say you put in the email and you get you can like read the article for free but then they just keep hammering you with new uh you know whatever it is you know discounts and you know saying oh do this and buy this apparently i also did something with compound sportswear hmm. no idea where that compound sportswear stuff came from but uh, yeah, so that is going to do it for us for today. Pretty long one. I didn't expect it to be this long, but I think going down the uh, the AEW rabbit hole and kind of getting all my thoughts out there kind of expanded the uh, the podcast. So thank you guys very much. If you want to send it a, 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 an email to the to the mailbag, who knows when we're gonna uh, do another one? But trying to maybe do one every month, once a month, that kind of you know fill in some holes, maybe talk about some specialty stuff going on in the world of pro wrestling. So utrmailbag at gmo.com. But if you want to just send it into the catch-all 
of the Bullocast. Bullocast 2 in the number two, as in the number two, sweet at gmo.com. Bullocast 2, sweet at gmail.com. Uh, thank you guys very much for tuning in. As you said, as I said, we got a bunch of stuff lined up for you guys. Listen to the regular episode of the Bullocast we did yesterday. UTR coming out today on Friday. Saturday, got the uh, Black Power. Right? No. What do we got? Oh, we got an interview uh, on Saturday. Sunday, we got a uh, Black Power ranking. Monday, we got the Elimination Chamber recap. So until next time, thank you guys very much for tuning in. Until next time, goodbye, good night, uh, big hugs, and tiny kisses. <laughs> <laughs>